Welcome to Dig This, a podcast about using archaeology, heritage, and business to do some good in this world. I'm Jenny. And I'm Amanda. Join us in a guest or two as we reevaluate and decolonize our work, our relationships, and our values. We're recording from the unceded territory of the Shimshan Nation, the Kitsilis people in Terrace, BC and also recording from Bowser, BC. In the beautiful unceded territory of the Qualicum First Nation. I'm so excited to be doing this with you, Amanda. Thanks, Jenny. Yeah, I'm excited as well. We've been talking about doing this podcast for a really long time. Years. Um, Years. <laughs> so it's exciting to finally get it, get it off the ground, so yeah. to speak. This episode is really the story of Amanda and I. It's not just the story about how we got here independently, but how we met and how we took this early friendship and developed it into a lifelong relationship that's already lasted more than a decade and has has seen us have our own families and build this business together and even larger scale engage in you know super high level goals of, of trying to change uh, archaeology in BC and in Canada. Mm -hmm. And it's awesome that we're starting with origin stories, which are obviously super interesting to archaeologists and anthropologists. We love to know where people come from, why they are the way they are, what, you know, their story of how they get started. Um, and I, I think also as archaeologists, we're kind of storytellers, right? Like that's a bit of what we do. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense that we're beginning at the beginning. Um, and also, I don't know if you find this this as well, but anytime I chat with people, they're really interested to know about like how Clianza started, how you and I met, um, all of that kind of stuff. So our particular origin story, I think, um, is also super interesting. Um, also because there's not that very, there's not that many, hardly any women owned and managed archaeology companies in the province. Yeah, we might be the only one. We might be the only one. I know of um, some in Alberta for sure, and I know some firms that are co-owned in BC by women, which is awesome. But um, yeah, our management team is women. We have a lot of women on staff. And so I think it makes it a little bit uh, unusual for people. Yeah, it is. It is really unique. And also we were noticing, or you were just pointing out, I think yesterday, noticing that all of our project managers right now our guys. Man. Yeah. Oh man. So we're all about, we're all about the token <laughs> hires. We'll hire, we'll hire men. Token hires are great. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding, men. <laughs> we love so, men. We're, we're married to men. We get it. Yeah. Men are important. Men are important. <laughs> um, so did we want to, um, I, we often tell this story, so it's probably a great one to begin with. But I think it would be really, really fun to recap um, how you and I met. And I'd love to get like your insights because I have particular memories of actually the first time um, I met you and saw you, but I haven't always heard that same. I'm usually the one kind of swinging the beer mug telling that story. So it'd be great to hear it from, from you. Well, to be honest, I probably don't remember a lot, a lot of that time because oh, come. we were... I don't think there was a lot of alcohol involved yeah, a lot of booze. in the evenings. And I do remember, so we met at Keatley Creek and 
there was an excavation going on and I showed up there as a volunteer. It was sometime in the summer. I, I can't remember exactly when it was like when it May was. or June, maybe. Yeah. Maybe right around this time of year, actually. It must have been early because I remember it was very cold and, and chilly in the mornings when yeah. you had to crawl out of your tent to, to go to the bathroom. <laughs> but yeah, I can't even remember how I heard about that excavation and showed up there. But I was early on in my career and I had like a ton of experience doing impact assessments, digging shovel tests and hiking through the forest. But what I was lacking was some excavation experience. The only other time I did excavating was during my field school. So I was eager to, to gain more experience and any opportunity I heard, um, I was trying to, to get involved. And so, yeah, I hopped in my truck, packed my tent and went to Keatley Creek. And we were there for a couple of weeks. And I, I remember... Yeah. You came and your dad was there. <laughs> yeah, my mom and my dad both came. I remember your dad. I don't remember your mom. That's well, strange. that's because she was busy running all over the site picking up pretty rocks. Which then I had to <laughs> tell her, uh, those, you can't pick those up. Those are artifacts. And she was like, what? I have like bags of pretty rocks. And I was like, you need to put those back right away. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I know. Bring, bring your parents to work day always successful. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe not such a good idea, but it was great meeting your, your dad. And, and he was super keen about what we were doing on site and what we were finding. And how long were they there for? Just a couple of days? I think they were just there. They, I mean, they certainly weren't camping with us. I can tell you that that would not be my mom's, <laughs> would not be my mom's comfort zone. Um, I feel like they might've stayed the night in Lillooet and they came out kind of over two days and we're just walking around. Yeah. That that's probably how it went. Yeah. And we were there for a couple of weeks camping out. So everyone was just staying in their tent you know? Yeah, I think that that site is actually world renowned. Like a lot of archaeologists yeah. know of it. Yeah, and a lot of a lot of BC archaeologists kind of cut their teeth there. So after meeting you at Keatley, uh, we reconnected years later. When okay, but wait, wait, wait! You feel like okay. you're breezing over the Keatley part. <laughs> <laughs> okay, back up, back up. I'm gonna. I really want to squeeze all the details out okay. of this because I haven't heard your side of it that often. I don't know that we actually hung out that much at Keatley because you were uh, working up on the other terrace, right? Yeah. I don't think that we did. I just, we, we hung out in the evenings when everyone would sit around the fire. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I remember, and I'll just throw in that I remember, because um, I don't remember actually hanging out with you much at Keatley, but I remember the very first day you rolled in because you were in one of the biggest trucks I had seen at that point. And you were, <laughs> and you were not a giant woman. You, you're, you're, you know, and I was like, that is a really large truck. Um, and it was, and then we used to use it to get firewood and it was terrific. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. We'd go and cruise up that back road and just. Oh, gray like, truck. That was, that was my first real large vehicle purchase yeah that was like a brand new vehicle to me mm -hmm. and, and then that that truck came full circle because it came into semi-retirement at my place yeah. on Vancouver yeah. Island right yeah great truck was a good truck great but truck. noisy like so when I pulled in it was probably like what is that noisy truck diesel yeah yeah 
Okay, yeah, now was, we can go beyond Keatley. It was good that I had it though, because I don't know how else we would have got firewood. Yeah, not very well. So beyond Keatley, so what happened next? I was living in Terrace in Northern BC, where I still reside today. And I was working for Golder Associates. And it was about the same time uh, in 2009. It was like early May, end of, end of April, when I got the news from my employer that I was being laid off. I was like super disappointed, felt defeated. I had put my heart and soul, like all my energy into this job. And I had been there at Golder for three and a half years. And I was really excited because it was spring and I was getting organized to get going on a couple of projects that I had lined up in the terrace area. And so when I got the, the blow that I was being let go, I just, I felt like the, my whole world had just crashed down and I spent a couple of days feeling pretty, pretty down about it. And then um, I got a phone call from one of my clients that uh, I had been working on these, these two major projects on. And um, his name was Andy. He phoned me up. He looked me up in the phone book and he said, Amanda, do you want to still work on, on that project for us? And I, I hadn't even thought of it as an option. And so I just thought, okay, I do. Because <laughs> I was excited to get those projects going. And, and so uh, Clienza was born. I just decided I would start my own company and I would work on these projects. And how'd you come up with the name? I spend a lot of time thinking about it and yeah, coming up with a name is really hard, but I picked Clienza. It was a suggestion. One of my friends had given me and she just said, why don't you call it Clienza consulting or something like that? Since you live in Clienza, then it's, it was easy. And I thought, yeah, that, that sounds really good. Like it just rolls off the tongue and it gives some merit to the region where I live and the area here is it's called Clienza, which is a Shimshan word meaning gold. And just uh, south of me is Clienza Park and Clienza Creek flows right, right close to us. So um, it just, it seemed natural. Call it Clienza. And it's lucky I wasn't around at that point, or I would have said spell, spell consulting with a K. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. We all know that um, any abbreviation with multiple K's is bad news. <laughs> <laughs> it started out, yeah, KK, that would not be good. No, terrible. Um, it started out as a proprietorship. I had no, nothing, like no experience with running a business or how you even start one. So I was really starting from scratch and like doing some Googling on what do I do here? How do I how do I get a business number? <laughs> Quick, business quickly number. Googles how to run business. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, and I, I got some books out of the library on how to run a business. And um, one of the books I got, I can't remember what it was called, but it was written by a woman. And she, she had done a similar thing where she was starting her own business. And she was also at a point in her life where she was starting her family. So, um, her business was her first baby. And then a couple of years into her, her business, she had a baby and then had, had a second child. So that book was, was really interesting. And it, it, it's very similar to how things went for, for me. 
and and for you as well, Jenny. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Starting a business and then having young kids and and having a a family is uh, it's a challenge. And so this is still in like 2009, right? Mm-hmm. And 2009. we had met, and we had met in 2006. Just kind of yeah. laying out the chronology. Yeah. And I, so with these, these two big projects I had, I immediately realized I needed help (laughs) and I was looking through my address book, which I still have actually. And I found your email and your phone number. Um, yeah. And both of which, both of which are the same, by the way, I've had the same damn phone number since I was 18. (laughs) So I called you up and I can't remember to call you or email you. I can't remember, to be honest. I connected I, anyway. Yeah. And you you said, sure, I'll come up to Terrace. That sounds fun. <laughs> that, that story checks out. That sounds like me. Yeah. And we also, we were able to uh, wrangle our friend Amanda Palmer to come up and, and help us as well. Mm-hmm. Who had also worked at Keatley Creek and actually had yeah. been one of the the three uh, women kind of left standing at the end of the project. <laughs> we were putting the site back together. Yeah. So uh, that's how, that's how Clianza was born. Clianza started in 2009 in, in Terrace uh, out of my Clianza house. And it's now grown to four offices. So from Terrace, we expanded to Prince Rupert, Vancouver and Bowser on Vancouver Island. And we went from just Amanda in the very beginning to a small crew of four women right in the beginning. And now we go between 20 and 25 people, including our support subcontractors. We're proud and exhausted. (laughs) Yeah, we're super proud. We look back and um, just talking about the origin story really brings back a lot of memories but we've really come a long way since 2009 and uh, I, I see us going much further in the next decade. I agree. We're, we're starting a whole new chapter in Cleanza right now. And this podcast is part of that, but it's really just the tip of the iceberg with what's coming for Cleanza next. It was 2011 when I got pregnant with my first child, my, my son, Jackson, who's he's nine now. It's hard to believe. After we'd worked together for a few years, Jenny became kind of eager to to buy in on some shares and and help manage the company with me. And we'd also had some discussions with Amanda Palmer as well, trying to get her to buy in as like a, the three of us running the company. But Amanda backed out. She was she wasn't really interested in in that at the time. Um, but Jenny, you were super eager and kept. You were the one who kept like really pushing me to. <laughs> turn the company from a proprietorship into a limited company so we could we could make shares accessible. You bought in, in in 2012. Yeah, that's right. And we were also embarking on some other major projects um, that were taking up a lot of our time managing them and, and also just like getting crews together so we could we could get people out in the field working on them. The, the big one that comes to mind was the BC timber sales Oh, Prince George. That we won in Prince George. Yeah. And then we had to staff it. (laughs) (laughs) It's super fun though. And that was in 2012, I believe. Yeah. 2012. And then 2012 was also Cedarvale, wasn't it? Oh, right. Yes, you're right. 
yeah. big, big excavation on the Skeena River. And that happened in the summer of 2012, where we had six weeks to excavate a huge amount of material. And 10 days to plan it. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> less than 10 days. I think it was less than 10 days because we had gotten, was it a phone call? How did that unroll? Um, we'll come back to the origin stories, but how did, how did yeah. Cedarvale unroll? I just remember I was in Prince Rupert because we had a house there that Zane and I had and uh, we were doing some work in the yard there and and you and I had put together a proposal to CN like about a week before we we had no idea we were just crunching numbers um, trying to figure out okay how many people do we need to to be able to pull this off in six weeks and what equipment do we need so we had this big excel spreadsheet where we estimated and calculated everything to to get this project yeah we didn't really didn't know if if cn would go for it or not because the budget seemed really high once we finished crunching all our numbers um but in retrospect and looking back at it we really should have doubled we should have yeah. doubled that budget <laughs> because we we had to live um very kind of rustically to get by on that that budget everyone camped in Kitwanga in tents and trailers and we had like potluck dinners but yeah so it was in we were in Prince I was in Prince Rupert and I got the call from Tammy at CN that the project was a go and I remember standing there feeling like holy crap Mm -hmm. (laughs) this is actually happening and so I immediately phoned you you were you were always like you always are you were just okay cool I'll come right up. <laughs> I'll bring my, I'll bring my van. Oh no, you had a tent trailer. I had a time. 1972 Bellevue tent trailer, powder blue. Yeah. <laughs> Named Milo. You didn't have Milo for very long, I don't think. No, I, I traded him for a motorbike. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, those were the days. <laughs> yeah. 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 So Cedarville, we somehow managed to get that project um, completed. It was it was a challenge. It was but, a challenge. Um, yeah. We had a we had a good team overall. We had a great team. Really good team. And I I I think we found over two thousand artifacts at that site. Way more. Because I was just looking at the count again. Uh we were in the tens of thousands. We were hmm. I have the number here, thirty-three thousand lithic fragments and tools. Yeah, it was a lot. And all of that material eventually ended up at the Museum of Northern BC in Prince Rupert. So it's all there. How else did that? I'm just trying to remember. Well, we ended up hiring a number of people that we had taken on as like student interns on that project as well. Right. I remember holding, you know, really rigorous interviews where I hired people in my tent trailer. (laughs) (laughs) Classy. Super classy. Yeah, so we had we had done that. So that was like a, kind of a really Im- important project for getting the company going there. And then, of course, at that time, 2012, then going 2013, 2014, like in the life of the company. And that, but that had set a nice tone because that's something that we've always tried to do is kind of be collegial and, and look for partnerships with other companies. And so I think that that was kind of the beginning of setting that tone. Yeah, and it was a really great model. Like it, I don't know whose idea it was, but maybe it was yours. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm going to say, I'm going to say, I'm going to say. <laughs> it worked. It worked out really well. And I, I would say that um, for the most part, we're still 
like that was a great working relationship with those other companies and you know we would happily do that again if the opportunity came up yeah and we and we have done it a number of times since other times it hasn't gone so well but i would say by and large it's been a pretty pretty successful model it was a wild time though i have to admit like i my my kids were little uh, you just had Jackson kind of during that whole period. When was Malone born? He would have been born. He was born in 2016. 2016. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was a wild time. <laughs> and at the same time you were having babies too. So um, when, what year was Jasper born? Jasper was born in 20. <laughs> Who has sent you to test me? He was born in 2015. <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out it like whatever kind of business model we were starting like because in because I started working with clans in 2009 and then had bought in 2012 but I was I was there from the early days and so kind of witnessing um and participating in the birth of the business and yeah. like we didn't have a formal business plan um but what we were doing was clearly working um, and I think it's interesting because I think that both of us were responding, uh, and this is what humans do, right? Like we're we're a product of our experiences, we're a product of our histories and of our environments. And so we were responding to the history that had come before. So you were responding and probably without even meaning to creating an alternative to the big environmental firm model, right? Yeah. Um, in terms of like uh, company culture and you know, what we call work-life balance, which I don't know if that exists, but that's a whole other topic. Um, and so, and so we, we were doing that and, and we were also doing it in our, in our pajamas in your living room <laughs> with boxes and boxes of wine and princess water. Yeah. Like huge amounts. Yeah. And everyone who would come up here to work ended up staying in my house. Yeah. Or, that was a wild time. Or in the yard yeah. somewhere. We, yeah. We, we just had like foamies and mattresses and trailers and yeah we were trying to like house people wherever we could yeah and Cody moved in for a while Lap was living there like for a while Corey, Corey and Lap were in the bunk beds <laughs> that's <laughs> right that's right and then I think at one point I was like I am done in the house there's too many people and then I lived in the backyard in my tent trailer <laughs> that's right it was just finished <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was pretty, um, it was, it was fun. And it was almost like we had a little commune going on or something. Yeah, like, a really just, filthy, smelly, um, totally successful commune. <laughs> and then it was a traveling commune because then we'd go to Prince George and we'd do shifts <laughs> we in would hotels. Do like a big like convoy. <laughs> and then we would all go live together in like uh, at Bear Lake, for example. Yeah. Right, which was another fun trip. Also with that darn tent trailer. That would have been a fun trip if it hadn't been for the bugs. The bugs were unbelievable. I've never seen anything like those bugs. And I know there's people who are going to listen and be like, oh, you don't know bugs. The, you guys, these were bugs. These were, this was a serious infestation where you would put your hand through the air and it would be a ball of noceums, black flies, deer flies, mosquitoes. And I was in my tent trailer with a mosquito net on top of my bed um, inside the tent trailer. And then before I could even consider right. moving, 
I'd have to squish all the bugs that were on the mosquito net before I could get out. Um, yeah, we had a mosquito net too. I remember that, that now. Oh, it was gross. Just just to be able to sleep because they would come in and any little crack they could find. How the hell were they getting the in? I don't know. There were just so many of them. Yeah. I have a funny story from that trip that I'm just remembering now. I, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but um, do you remember when you would use the showers at the the wash house there in Bear Lake? You had to have <laughs> vaguely coins to get to. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And you'd have shower. you know four seconds to have a shower. Yeah. Well, I brought what I thought was enough coins to have my shower, and I <laughs> just started getting into it. And I put shampoo in my hair, and then the water turned off. <laughs> 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 and I had no more money. And so I remember I had to wrap myself in a towel and like run across the campground to go back to the trailer and find some more coins so I could finish. Oh, that was mortifying. I don't even remember that shower. I mean, I must, I hope I used it. I must have used it, but I really don't remember it. (laughs) It wasn't, it wasn't bad in terms of like camp house showers. It, It was fairly clean. But yeah, it gave you about four seconds to the dollar of water. <laughs> it was awful. I saw this contract on Chin, that's that Canadian Heritage Information Network, where they were looking for consultants to work with the newly formed Indian Residential School Settlement Agreement. And you needed to have a company to apply for it. And I didn't have a company. So I made a company really quickly, like overnight. Yeah and applied for this contract and got it. And so then I started working, um, doing uh, independent historical research and analysis for survivors of the Indian residential schools in Canada. And I ended up working on that for four years, and then also went on to um, manage an aspect of the documents that were coming out of BC at that time that were ultimately used in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. So I was managing kind of all of these first-person accounts of residential school experience, which was really formative. Like that really, it was it was very, very hard work, um, and it, it was really formative to the things I care about now like like having equity and why we uh, why we do what we do give you a, like a major insight into that historical time and and the yeah. of first nations exactly exactly um and i and you know and i say this to people when i started working on the residential school material in 2006 hand to heart super ashamed but i didn't really know about residential schools before that time it just wasn't part of my education um, and then to learn that the last one had just closed in 1996 was shocking. And it just kind of, it just kind of, it's kind of like the truth of what was happening in Canada at that time, just like hit me in the face, like cold and wet. It was, it was just a complete wake up call, uh, that yeah. experience. And then just reading, you know, 40 hours a week for four years, just reading these firsthand accounts uh, really impacted me. How could it not? It, I mean, who... Yeah. I don't want to meet the person who that wouldn't impact. So, um, yeah, I was doing that. And then that ended in 2010 and I was still working at SFU. I had started working with Clianza and it was around that time, uh, when I met who became my senior supervisor for my, for my PhD, John Welch. And because of my experience with the Indian residential schools and because of my, my work as a dirt archaeologist, right? Like being able to dig and manage projects, he mm-hmm. wondered if I was interested in doing a PhD with him 
uh, down at a site that he had worked at for many years in Arizona. And that's the uh, Fort Apache and Theodore Roosevelt School, which is now a National Historic Landmark. So it was a military fort turned Indian boarding school. And it's actually still an Indian boarding school to this day, but the management has changed. So it's got tribal management. Um, and so then I was working, doing my PhD research and then doing uh, all the consulting and, and work up here with Clianza. And then finally graduated uh, in 2017 after you know helping to build the company, getting married, moving, having a couple of kids, opening a couple offices. Um, and here we are. <laughs> And didn't you do some work in Jordan as well? Oh yeah, totally forgot about that. So, so also in that time, so 2006 and 2007, I also started doing work for the University of Toronto as a teaching assistant. And so I was one of the directors of their uh, long-standing Tel Madaba archaeological project in Jordan, overlooking the Dead, well, near to the Dead Sea Valley. So in this in this town called Madaba, and so I worked there. Uh, for a number of months over a couple of years in 2006, 2007 with my very good friend, uh, Deb Foran. And she still does work in Jordan, but now she's at Wilfrid Laurier University. And we're looking at actually, you know, the prospect of starting stuff in Jordan in future as well. Um, and then I was back there in Jordan in 2017, starting work on a new site with Deb called Kerbet al which is the Arabic name, uh, but it's actually right by the town of Mount Nebo. Mount Nebo has biblical reference because it's where Moses came and looked across the Dead Sea Valley and said, yep, that's the place. This is where we've been headed. And so that's where he st stood. So it, religiously, it's a very important site. So um, what I was there doing in 2014 was I was interviewing uh, the Bedouin villagers who worked around there and, and just asking them, like, why do they care about archaeology? Is this, do they care that we're here? Do they care what happens to it? Do they associate themselves with the heritage of the site and so on? Because of what I was trying to do was bring, like, like West Coast Canada perspectives of community-based archaeology and trying to apply them in this this totally um, different model over there. It's still quite colonial in practice. A lot of the work that happens over there has foreign archaeologists who come in, excavate, uh, and then they kind of take a lot of the stuff with them for analysis. And so I was trying to change the script a little bit and find out what it would be like if we changed why we were doing archaeology over there. What if we changed why it mattered to people? I think that we immediately like had felt some kind of connection and and otherwise I wouldn't have written down your your email address and your phone number in my <laughs> my address book um but yeah I think like we just hit it off right away and and then once we started working together in uh, Prince Rupert that first season we had a couple projects on the coast um each project is is presents its own challenges but we we just somehow managed to work well together and, and to figure things out that would be um, semi-impossible to, to someone else. What did you think, Jenny? Um, yeah, so I had, I, I had related, you know, the first time, um, like seeing you at Keeley Creek, which was really interesting. And I, I didn't know then that like my relationship with you, with you was going to become one of the longest term, most important relationships in my life. Cause it, it has been, it's been really formative. Um, and it has really directed my life. But I think that 
what was really interesting to me was that we already shared the same ethics. So we both felt that archaeology needed to be improved and that we didn't feel good in our hearts about the way things were being done. And we were both frustrated. But what was in, so so our ethics overlapped like hugely. But what I really admired about you and continue to admire about you is your methods are very different than mine, (laughs) like very different, (laughs) but we get to the same place. Um, And I can't do things the way that you do. And, um, and, and maybe you can't do things the way I do it, but, but they complement each other really, really well. So like you, like, I'm a confident person, but I'm, I'm sometimes I'm kind of the louder one. Right. And, and you're a confident person, but you do it more quietly. Or, you know, I, I often solve a problem by like taking a really big run at it and just like <laughs> blowing it apart so I can reassemble it. And you have a much kind of gentler way. Um, but I've always loved that. Like, I think for both of us, it's almost, it, it's like unconditional support. Like I've always felt that you have my back always. Um, even with my super kooky ideas. Um, And I always have your back no matter what. And it's just been this really, really important relationship. And it's kind of redefined in a lot of ways, what my relationship, what it means to have a relationship um, with a woman, like, like a platonic relationship with a woman, because, you know, oftentimes there's these tropes about uh, women, you know, friendships and how they're rife with, gossip and stress and all of this. And I think that we've deliberately entered into these super stressful situations and that's never impacted our relationship that way. Um, and it, and it just hasn't had those things. It just hasn't had those aspects. And so it's really redefined, I think for me and set the bar for what it means to have such a close friendship with someone. And it's also caused me to look at other, uh, female friendships that I have, which I also value. Um, but are just very different, I think. And I really, um, I really value and protect our relationship as well. Uh, I'm sitting over here getting teary. Yeah, <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> I know, and I'm the one who gets the teary, right? Like I get teary too, but it, it matters so much to me and we probably don't say it to each other enough. Um, but it's, it's really been formative to me. And um, you, you were a mentor to me from early on and still are right. Where I, I, I go to you for problems and to like workshop stuff, like have a different way of looking at it, which is great. Oh yeah. Like we even call each other when we're, we're having personal oh, yeah. challenges. Of course, because it's all, it's all related. Yeah. So somehow we've managed to work together all these years and still maintain a friendship as well, which is, which is pretty amazing. It is. And we've had, I mean, we've had a couple disagreements, but nothing major at all. I always address, I remember probably the most frustrated I've ever been was about the Keurig cups, which was no big deal. (laughs) I'm just joking, obviously, but like, we don't really fight about big things. (laughs) Be happy to know that I don't use the Keurig cups anymore. (laughs) I'm I'm so glad. What a relief. I appreciate Jenny so much. I can't even put it into words. Like when I was on my own, it was very scary, exciting starting out my own company. And I felt somewhat independent, but at the same time, I needed support. 
I, I just, I needed it. Um, the projects that we took on and the experiences that we had, I would not have been able to get through any of them without Jenny's support. And I think like Jenny nailed it by saying like, we, we really complement each other. I mean, you could, you could maybe ask our staff and they might say something differently, but we've, we've often got comments from them that like Jenny and I are the yin and the yang. We, we're a little bit different in how we manage, but we, we just somehow do it together and, and it works with our, our different energy levels. We're living through this time, this challenging time of COVID-19 and I've uh, been working from home for over a year with my kids and we've been trying to organize getting this podcast off the ground for, for quite some time. And I was always nervous about the fact that my kids are here and my husband's occasionally here and there's just, there's noises. So I just wanted to explain that to people. If, if you're hearing any strange background noises, that's just uh, my normal household. And I'm recording in our Bowser office. Uh, which is about a kilometer from my house because it's where I escape from my children and my my very handsome husband. Um, but frequently, uh, you'll hear animals and kids in the background when Amanda and I were talking because we're we're making this work with families and kids, and and there's not a lot of uh, that personal professional boundary in our life. And we're not wearing pants. And we're not wearing pants. Hey folks, thanks for listening to this episode of Dig This. If you have any questions or there is something you'd like us to dig into, reach out online. You can find and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Dig This Pod. If you dig us, leave us a review and tune in next week for a new episode.